When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Pod Arune. So I went to the electric picnic on Saturday with my 14-year-old daughter, Duana, and had quite a busy day. I was a guest on News Talk Sports Show at one o'clock with Donald Deneen and Donegal footballer Brendan Deveni. And that was interesting because I had to survive that discussion with my limited amount of Gaelic football knowledge. But I think I survived it all right. I got by. I just got by. And then I performed at the comedy tent and went way over time, for which I apologise. I was down for half an hour and I said before I went on, I'm not sure what a half an hour is. Can somebody give me a cue for when a half an hour is up? And I kept looking backstage for someone to go, yeah, that's it, that's it. Give me a thumbs up. There was nobody there. I was there on my own. I kept going, I kept going. I went I went 20 minutes over time, but it was whatever. I apologise for that, but I must sort that out. I figure that one out myself in the future. I must figure out a way of knowing when I'm finished. So I hung out backstage for a while and had a quick interview with Terry Alderton, with whom I'd worked with on the stage version of the Shawshank Redemption at the Edinburgh Festival two years ago. So I had a chat with uh, also the young uh, Scottish comedian Daniel Sloss, who, although he's only... 25 this week coming, is practically a veteran comedian. He has been a professional comedian since he was around 17. It makes you sick, doesn't it? At the age he is now, I had another three or four years until I even started doing stand-up. God. Like, he's out there, like, touring the world, bringing out DVDs, and he still has the decency to give me an interview for my podcast. It makes me sick. So what else? Oh yeah, I, uh, later that evening I got up and sang with a band called Cronins in the Word Tent. And uh, we did covers, you know. I did uh, I Fought the Law, the Clash version of that song. Uh, one Step Beyond, the Madness version of that song, uh, which just involves me shouting One Step Beyond and dance, dancing frantically in a ska kind of skanky style. Uh, then we did Cars, Gary Newman song, and the Human League song, Don't You Want Me, Baby. And uh, that was brilliant. Got everybody up dancing. It was amazing. And then I was kind of, re- not replaced, but I left. And Brezzy took over, the, the man, and uh, the man Brezzy. And I rejoined my daughter. And to my absolute delight, she said, that was really good. My teenage daughter was impressed I can't describe how much that means to me. My heart swelled with excitement because you always expect your kids to be at the least nonplussed and at the worst embarrassed to the point of wishing for the ground to open up and swallow them when their dad does something 
anything to do with performing or dancing. But no, she was impressed. Uh, so to be honest, uh, the tent was rocking. Everybody was up. I was up. I was, da- I was I was dancing. I was losing the head. Everyone was up. It was amazing. You're singing with a band and dancing around the stage. My God, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. So that was Saturday. Anyway, we got in our tent at about half twelve, myself and my daughter, and we were wearing about three or four jumpers each and a sleeping bag because it was fucking cold on Saturday night. But we were fine. We had, we had enough big woolly jumpers and things and we got through it. And the next day, I was up and I went to do my morning ablutions. I went to the Portaloo doing what I was doing and I was standing up tucking my shirt into my pants facing the toilet bowl when my Zoom recorder slipped out of my jacket pocket and into the toilet down the chute right into the Portaloo right into the piss and the shit. The very Zoom that I am talking into now, the very Zoom that I had recorded already two interviews for this podcast was sitting half submerged in poop and wee-wee. I stood horrified for a second and then realised I would have to reach my bare hand into the urine and faeces soup to retrieve it which I did and immediately started wrapping it in toilet paper and attempting to dry it off as I panicked for two reasons. The first being that I have, may have had lost all my interviews and destroyed my Zoom recorder. And the second reason I panicked was for hygienic reasons because there's not a lot of ways to wash at the electric picnic and I had just stuck my hand into a fucking toilet. So obviously it all sorted itself out because I am talking to you now and I retrieved the interviews with the help of a hairdryer uh, on my recording device to dry it out because for quite a while it wouldn't turn on at all but it's sorted but I'm just telling you this so you know that a couple of the interviews you're about to hear on this podcast have fallen into a portaloo and were retrieved with my bare hand or as Daniel Sloss said when I told him what happened shit interviews but let's start with a post portaloo incident interview. In other words, this interview was recorded into a still shitty-smelling Zoom recorder. Not that I told Jarlath Regan that. I am a professional. And uh, so this is with Jarlath, and Jarlath is uh, the host of the very, very, very popular podcast, Irishman, An Irishman Abroad. And he's a very successful stand-up comedian in London, based in London. And he spoke to me just before going on at the Electric Picnic Comedy Tent. Yeah, hi, Charlotte. Joe. How are you doing? How are you? Very good. Good. I've been listening to your podcast, brilliant stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, it's going well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love doing it. Do you love doing yours? I love doing it, yeah. It's kind of a addictive thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no man in the way, is there? Well, that's the thing. You can, uh, there's no ad breaks. Yeah. You don't have to stop and there's go. There's no one telling you. Ah, oh, you can't do that. That's a shit idea. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that is comes with its negative side as well you see your shit ideas wind up out there well that's true yeah you have to edit yourself so uh, you yeah. can't get too self-indulgent I suppose but yeah. I mean you, you know from your reaction from audiences you're getting huge listenership so yeah, it's they're, uh, yeah that's it sure that's the most important relationship isn't it with the people listening to it really yeah 
So yeah. that's going really well for you. And uh, how's, how, how do you how do you feel about moving to London now? You mean how long ago you moved away? Yeah, I'm there two years now. My kids yeah. started school on Thursday. There, proper big school. Yeah, uh, he's four. So wow. I'm properly embedded. Yeah, in the belly of the beast, and I love it. Yeah, but like I, I loved it right from the start, just because it was how to live. It was the only way to live. You know, it was like it's way better than being poor, right? Absolutely. It's just so much work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not that far from Dublin to London, and London is the center. It's like it, most uh, American comics end up in LA. So yeah, you gotta thing. go. It kind of if you're if you're gonna be good, you have to go. And if you're going to be shit, you have to go as well. Because that's the only way to make a living, being a shit comedian. <laughs> There's enough gigs for the you work to, is out there. to float. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. There's loads of shit comedians there. So if you're in Ireland going, oh no, I'd never make it in London. No, 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 there's loads of... There's loads of people that you're better than and they're all in London. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. I think a lot of the Irish comics, uh, the history of arriving up to London fully fledged and it's been a big yeah, shock to them. That's true. Yeah, you, yeah, you get a bit cosy here, don't you? Yeah. And then you arrive there and realise, oh my God, there's this massive carousel that goes around very slowly. Yeah. Yeah. So are you over here uh, for a while or are you just doing the picnic? I or? just came over f- for the day. Um and my lift fell through, so I borrowed a high ace van and yeah. drove down, which was a joy because you can park anywhere in a high ace. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever driven one. It is I a haven't. pleasure. Mm. I'm surprised there are some more ads for high aces based mm. on the idea that you can stick it up on top of a flower bed and <laughs> stick the blinkers on. I swear to God, you can pull out in traffic really dangerously. I had such a lovely journey down, just owning the road. One day, straight back out. That's, that's it. Because if you're in a high ace, no one's going to mess with you. No, but they don't know what's in the back. It's the thing. It's the ultimate weirdo mobile. Could be carpet or could be firearms. Could be bodies. They don't know. <laughs> could be, yeah. And yeah. Uh, is there any uh, music you'd be into checking out while you're here? I you just know? came back from Jurassic 5. Now, I would be big into hip-hop. Mm. Uh, I love hip-hop. Like, that would that would be my, the main thing I would be interested in seeing. Also, when you're here for a window, like, this... Summer, I've done Latitude, Reading, the Forbidden Fruit, Body and Soul, and uh, V, the two V festivals. So, I have this year got to see a lot of new music that I had never heard of because when you have a kid, within that first four years, you're out of the loop. And now you return to the loop, and some of the shit is really good. Some of it's atrocious, and you wonder why is this happening? That's a haircut, that's all that is on stage. Uh, but some it's been great so I saw some amazing stuff there but Jurassic 5 that was a high thrill get to see them and get paid to come down and see them yeah. I've just been to see a band that I hadn't heard of called Pond and they were absolutely incredible so really it's great when you see a band you've never heard and you, yeah. and you discover a band at a festival lovely. there's just such a lovely atmosphere here there's also a tiny atmosphere let's just call it there's a tiny atmosphere at Electric Picnic of we're the best festival in the world and I bought a ticket, so I am kind of responsible for the success of this festival. And if you can see through that, there's people that have got to listen to this who are, I don't go to Electric Picnic for that reason. Mm. If you can get by that, it's a really enjoyable place to come. But sometimes it's hard to get by those people. I guess some people find it, it's a bit glampy or something. It's not Very hardcore. Bad. Come on, yeah. you're not staying in it. It's a lot more hardcore than the UK ones, I'll be honest with you, because... Mm. 
this is not summer. You know, those ones are in the height of summer. It's really hot. They're usually in hot areas. Everyone is just out laying on the grass. It's easy. Mm. You'll see Glastonbury with the rain and that, but that's unique enough. That mm. makes the headlines over there. Bit of rain. Mm. Here, people are out in their coats. I think this is a bit more grimy than people realise mm. because it's not easy living conditions in it's some not. ways. The I'm here with my daughter, 14-year-old daughter, and we had uh, we were freezing last night. We had uh, four jumpers on each. Yeah, you've got to really want to be here sometimes. Uh, and then if it splits the stones, sure, people aren't prepared for that either. They were red faces. Yeah. But, uh, How do you find doing... Uh, you know, you did a, a couple of interviews for your podcast at festivals. and There's a yeah. different dynamic to that one. It's a, yeah, it's a totally different animal, isn't it? Well, it's essentially I mean, bringing it to the people. But you're not going to get the kind of personal interviews. It's more entertaining. No. It turns into entertainment. It is, but you'd be funny. You have to be funny. There's an expectation for funny on those. So we've never done one that isn't with a comedian. For good reason. I mean, they can perform. But then occasionally we did one at the Galway Comedy Festival with Des Bishop. And that one's worth listening to because he isn't trying to be funny. We're very quiet. Uh, one o'clock show in the Roisin Dove. And Des got into how... He was bullied at school in New York by John Gotti's nephew and how the Gotti family were essentially after him. And, like, he wasn't performing it. He was just telling you this is what was really happening in New York. The story is I was a a pisshead, but there's part of it was that and part of it was this. So it's funny. It just depends on the festival. It depends on the moment. But by and large, you're right. You have to maintain the performance. I mean, I think you, uh, you were interviewing uh, Tommy Tiernan, but you, you found that he had to do it live. He, he wanted yeah, to do he, it in front he, of Yeah, he said that. He, I've been chasing him for ages. Mm. But then, remarkably, his live one was funny. But it was one of the most in-depth ones we've done, you know? Well, Tommy's always in-depth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, maybe that was what he was afraid of, how in-depth it would go. Yeah. Because he said... That was the reason why he said he wouldn't do it in private, was because he... I said, why wouldn't you do it in private? Why did you feel you needed an audience? And he said, that, if I was to answer that or try and figure that out, it might unravel a part of me that I couldn't put back together. And that was our opening question. <laughs> this is going to be great. And he was great. I mean, yeah. Most of the time, you know this as well as anyone. It's about getting out of the way and letting them talk. Oh, Tommy's unbelievable. You hardly even have to ask him a question. You just kind of <laughs> hey, yeah, say, yeah. hi, Tommy. He's been on here go. with you, has he? Uh, I've talked to him uh, at the Vodafone Festival in Dublin yeah, for a quick chat yeah, on yeah, this yeah. and uh, I just turned it on uh, and before I even asked a question he was off he was off yeah, yeah. 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 So. he's a soulful guy yeah. poetic fella got a lot to say and uh, it's amazing to see him grow up I'm sure you you saw him when he was starting mm. and uh, you know I, I didn't I wasn't there for that. Well, I just think he's very courageous and he's never he's never resting on his laurels. Yeah. He's always pushing it, pushing it further yeah. and further. I mean, I wish we could have played the stuff that we cut out of that interview, to be honest with you. Mm. Some of that stuff was mad. Mm. But we cut out stuff because, as you know, people can open up too much in these festival settings and he has over the years at these things. All the trouble with the Jews yeah. <laughs> happened here at Electric Actually Picnic. here yeah. in the hot press tent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paddy, uh, oh, sorry, I, I think I'm... Joe, I'm going to have to go and... Okay, yeah, yeah, you're Sorry on. for calling you Paddy there, but I was like, 
So Carl Spain's just gone on stage for the benefit yeah. of the listener, mm. and I've got a really important 20 minutes where I ship myself that has to okay, happen now. Yeah. You've really gone very English to just call me a paddy. Yeah, you fucking paddy. <laughs> yeah. Listen, paddy, I'm finished with this. I'm going to have to go off over here now. Listen, Is that rude? Nah, that's fine. You're, you're a lovely Englishman. Anyway, Gerard, thanks for talking to me and enjoy... Thanks, Gerard. Enjoy the show and enjoy the next 20 minutes of uh, winding yourself up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. All right, thanks a lot. So uh, you can find a more substantial interview with Jarlath Regan on Andrew Mangan's podcast 738AM podcast, which is on Castaway Media as well. And Andrew produces this podcast as well. Well, next I spoke to Terry Alderton, who is an actor, comedian and former goalkeeper with South End United. But some of you might know him as Terry Spragan, the cab driver on EastEnders. Terry, hi. Hello, Joe. How you doing? Very good, thank you. Morning, Kevin. I probably haven't seen you since we did the uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, when I was strangling you. You were strangling Getting me. paid to strangle you. Yeah. As in, in an acting way, not in a malicious, nasty way. No, I'll, I'll never forget the, the uh, one performance where things went... Our, our main actor forgot to come back oh, on for the last... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I suddenly realised, I sort of thought to myself... Because we, we did this little pass thing, didn't we? We had to walk around. It was a bit sort of arty, arty, wanky thing, wasn't it? We were all walking yeah, around we're the stage. Around in and I was thinking, and stuff, I was going, where's Andy Dufresne? Yeah. And everyone's going, what? I go, where's Andy Dufresne? He's supposed to be in this bar. And I suddenly thought, this ain't right. And then I rang up, ran up the stairs, and there, sure enough, it was like, you know when you, when, when you uh, I think it's more of a performance thing, but when you have those dreams that you haven't learnt your lines, or it's that kind of thing. But he was in that dream, because he was getting ready for the last thing. Hey, Terry. I'm going, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm getting changed for the last scene. Uh, we're about five before that. Yeah. And then I just seen his face, this whole panic of going, oh my God. Yeah. And me going, mate, you know, so I had to go on. A, I said, look, just get ready. Run back down the stairs. I said, well, um, you know, we'll sort this out. And I remember walking yeah. on and Omid was, you know, whistling away. <laughs> and all of a sudden I, I walked over and went to Omid. I went, as in character, I went, I know what you're up to, Red. And he's like, he could see his face going, uh-oh. There's <laughs> something strong. Because we're just ad-libbing It was a great bit, yeah. But the, I mean, I don't think you can say this on your podcast, but he um, he looked at me, I said, uh, blah, 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 and whatever we were ad-libbing. And, uh, I remember. He, t- he turned to me and he went, you know, uh, Rister, 10 years ago, you fucked me in the ass. <laughs> at which point, I went, in my head, I'm going, what? And I, and I just went... And it was good. <laughs> and then, of course, the stage manager came on and went, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to stop the show here. It's called, we've got a lighting problem. We've got a lighting problem. Yeah, but actually, oh. you stayed in character because the stage manager came on stage and when he came on, he said, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Brilliant. Like he was Brilliant. a character. What the fuck? Who the fuck are you? So when we were, as you know, we were backstage and then uh, he was trying to sort it out and I was trying to say to him, you know, we've already started this thing, so keep it as a lighting problem. And he's going, no, no, what we're going to do, pick it up from the scene. I'm saying, yeah, but we're comics. We're, we're working in and let Landy come on. Yeah. And then we, so we went back on and carried on where we left off with, I fucked you in the ass. Yeah. And, I, and then we, I went, I, re, I know what you two are up to. I've seen you. And then your man walks in and goes, I'm watching you do free. Yeah. And then um, we, the whole thing ensued and it was all fine. But he was in tears, wasn't he, the boy? It was, oh, it was unbelievable. I don't know how he, he went on afterwards because, I mean, the shock must have been unbelievable. No, it was, it was, it was total, totally, absolutely distraught, wasn't he? And, yeah. But we got, we got there. We got, in true in show fact, we got a massive uh, standing ovation yeah. at the end of that Yeah, we did, yeah. So. And someone stopped yeah. me in the street and said, what happened? And I went, oh, it was a lighting problem. We had a, lot, we had a fault with the lights. Yeah. And I went, oh, well, it was, we didn't notice. And I went, no. Nah. 
because it wasn't really a lighting problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was good crack. And then you went on to do EastEnders straight after. Yeah, of you? course, when I yeah. got the offer, didn't I, when we were in, the, and I was thinking, yeah. do I want to do this? Do I, I don't know if I want to do this, which was a bit... Yeah. It wasn't because I didn't want to do EastEnders. It was more the fact that I didn't want to be in a job with uh, a kind of... I knew it would be an office situation. Yeah, you're you know, going and to And I didn't want to be in the day. politics and all that. And, yeah. and ironically, in the end, when I, when I had to go, because Patsy Palmer left to go the way out, I, I was kind of a bit gutted, really. I was like, oh. When you had to leave... Yeah, because it was yeah. nice. It was around the corner. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, as comics, we, if you like, you know, we cook the dinner, don't we? And then we have to serve it out. Whereas in EastEnders, yeah. they cook it for you. And then you just go and serve it, you know? Yeah. yeah. If you like, I don't know if that's some sort of weird So you know, you enjoyed doing it. I mean, because yeah. where did you grow up? Did you grow up in uh, London? I grew up in South End, which is yeah. out on the on the east coast of the UK. Yeah. yeah. Essex. Yeah. So, but you, would you have a, a knowledge of that? Vernacular, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's brand, yeah, it's the, the London's, yeah, on the doorstep of Essex, yeah. And most people that are in Essex are of, of the overspill of what was the East End at that time, you know, so the likes of places like Basildon, yeah, yeah, and what yeah. they were, they were known as East End spillouts and Dagenham and all that kind of thing, so right, people would move out, you know, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, it's just being a geezer, isn't it, you know, what I mean? yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I suppose it, but I can't even do a real Dublin accent, but it'll be Dublin, the same, yeah, it'll be the same. It'll be the equal Dublin hang your ballots on the door. Well, like if you're from Dublin uh, and you're in a Dublin soap bar, because sometimes I watch the Fair City, our version, and I don't think they're getting it right. I don't think they're getting the words right that that a Dublin person would. Well, no, no, but that happens sometimes. Sometimes you you get you'd read things. For example, it might go, you know, my lines might be, Carol, may I have one of those biscuits? You'd be thinking, say that someone's written that, you know, because they've come out of wherever they, you know university or whatever yeah. literally you know liter- literally yeah. uh, being astute you know but so yeah. you'd be going just be going Carol can I want him you know give us a biscuit yeah so you and can, are you allowed to do that yeah, yeah, yeah you can change things yeah you yeah. can change it make it your own yeah but there's yeah. certainly you can't just change the whole thing of course yeah of course yeah, but yeah. the interesting thing was as well when you get things written you'd uh, you'd know you, that you'd be playing with the writers as well so you'd know that that's what they were trying to get across but then you play it slightly different so there was all a little game going oh he's played it that way okay fair enough alright so so then it would make them have to write the next thing slightly differently because you put the twist and the spin on <laughs> on what you were doing but no having said that I generally all I ever said was I'll see you in the Vic <laughs> that's all I ever said I've got to pick a job up I'll see you in the Vic I'll pick a job because I was a cab driver that's fine did you continue um, uh, doing stand-up while you were doing? I did a little bit, yeah. and um, I wish I hadn't done any, really, because yeah. I should have had that a bit of a sabbatical, really. And then I came yeah. out and I thought, you know, I do a lot of voiceover work, so that yeah. kind of is my bread and butter. And then uh, and I did came... it affect how audiences reacted to you? Not really, no. not really. It's kind of, I think, you know, it's, I don't really know. I just would still just get up and do what I did. But yeah. when I came out of it, I got this, I got this uh, Radio 4 commission. But I was still in that world of, oh, God, I wish, wish I was in EastEnders because my life was easy. Because, you know, yeah. when you get to our age, you want to just an easy life. Mm. So, um, you know, it was all about that. And then I went back and did a scene. And when I went back, I felt about, like I was very much an outsider. I didn't recognise the place anymore. And I rang my mate Johnny up and I said, John, you know, this Radio 4 thing that we got, I said, it's, uh, it's a moment, isn't it, where all these times I've turned up to people going, I've got this idea. And they go, yeah, we like what you do, but you're too out there. And I thought, we've got, we got it now. And Johnny, went, Johnny said, you know, now you, you realise, you know. Now you realise, you know. It take, took me to realise that I had this Radio Four commission, yeah. that I could go out and do my show. So we did it, and we did these fifteen minute, four fifteen minutes, and it's completely, you know, it's just. It, I wanted it to be. I didn't want to copy 
Kenny Everett or Spike yeah. Milligan, but I wanted to do something original and different, and you know, something very 2015 technologically wise, you know, mm. and sounding and yeah, and no, I had to reteach myself because I'm very physical as a oh, comedian. Absolutely, your show was unbelievable. So Not I had just to, physical, I had to re- but you use sound, you use yeah. Uh, the voice in your head and this kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah, so I, yeah, so. I had to retrain myself sonically. I thought, how can I be physical sonically? So, yeah, and it all turned out really well. Because you kind of reinvented yourself, didn't you? You oh, were like a, few times. A, uh, a... What kind of comic were you before? Well, you very were, um, uh, traditional kind of Michael Barrymore. And you did impressions. It, stuff, you? yeah, and here's some impressions. And, yeah, yeah. and then I kind of had a, a time away uh, in my dressing gown, as it were. <laughs> Getting up every morning going, I'm in the dressing gown again. And yeah. then I came back doing stand-up. Because my wife said to me, you know, she said, you know, I was getting very down. And she said, you need yeah. to go back and do stand-up. And I said, but if I go back, everyone will be going, oh, look who's back. And she said, do you think everyone's in dressing rooms talking about you? And I went, oh, that was a real wake-up call. So then I thought, right, right okay, well, if we're going to go back and do it. It was just one night I was on stage and I, I was doing the same old shit. And it was just very hack. Yeah. And I started turning around. I had this routine where I'd say that I was in this uh, New York bar and I said to the guy you know I, I could have a medium white wine and he said we only do the one size and I turned around and talked to these voices you know very quickly got back and showed him the bulldog spirit and it just happened that that night I was very sort of oh, this is just bollocks and I just carried on saying this is all shit you know and then turned around like nothing happened and then going back to them again and after the show Ben Norris came up to me a comedian you know Ben yeah and he said uh, what were you doing and me being the professional went oh no I probably shouldn't have done that he went no 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 whatever you're doing there you've got to keep doing that so kind of really 2006 when I came really came back went to Edinburgh mm. cobbled a show together with this kind of um, dynamic this kind of gimmick if you like and then by the end of that I thought I know how to wield this thing now mm. and then I just went let's go let's do this let's just do it and I also did a play called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern the Dead right. which also gave me the, the fact that you can be silent you know you can enjoy the silence and stuff and make people feel uncomfortable and so I did all that and then funny enough being inspired in a reverse after I was doing all this and thinking am I getting it right I, I fell upon watching a bit of Andy Kaufman and people like that you know more Andy Kaufman a bit of Steve Martin mm. and then watching those guys I suddenly thought no actually I'm on the right lines here. You got, you, this is it let's do this mm. let's just do something different That's you incredible. Know, cele- yeah. celebrate yourself and just go for it that's brilliant it's very very few comics reinvent themselves very few very yeah. hard to do I think yeah it's hard because and you feel like you're maybe there's another you're going to lose an audience well, you also, probably it's probably not so much as lose the audience. You, you don't want to lose the gigs at the comedy store because at that yeah. time you're kind of coming back because you know you're running out of cash and you think I've got to earn some money. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, there's a kind of a you know, my wife was also pregnant with my son at that time. And, you know, it was, it was a very and the boiler needed doing and the windows needed changing yeah. and I got a ten thousand pound loan and yeah. you know the whole panic. And I thought I think what it was the whole drive of it was that I have to succeed here. Yeah. You know, there's no way I've got to survive and make this work. So there was a reinvention. It's the only time in my life, probably, I actually would pat myself on the back, if I'm honest. You know, most of the time I just think, oh, you know, I wouldn't like me. But that was the one time I went, you know, well done, really. Yeah, that was incredible. So you were still doing it, was it the same circuit you were doing, or did you do the more cabaret circuit beforehand? Did you do a different circuit? No, no, I stayed, I stayed doing bits and pieces. Yeah. I didn't play too much. I would just yeah. do little favourite gigs, like there's a gig in uh, South yeah. London, like Up the Creek, I would do it, and I would yeah. do the comedy store, and then I would do it at sort of festivals, and, and then, then repeat Edinburgh, you know, go back to Edinburgh, start writing shows and getting back into yeah. that kind of thing again, and, yeah. and making it work, and finding another dynamics, what I could do. So, you know, then after not just talking to myself on stage, I would then bring on you know, little imaginary people that weren't there and then I started mm. talking to one guy and telling him, you know, it's an imaginary bloke but I don't think the guy in the front row likes me and, you know, he'd, he'd be going, do you want me to sort it out for you? And I go, would you mind? He goes, I don't mind, I don't even exist. You know, so <laughs> it's just playing with the whole dynamic of comedy. Really. Yeah. 
that's brilliant. Yeah. I brought my kids to see in Edinburgh as well, and they loved it. So, fair play. So I enjoy the first time here. Is it at the first time here at the at the Picanicky? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it'd be fun. I don't. No, I'm not really doing it much anymore. So I'll just pick and choose it. When Kev Healy. Who booked yeah. me for this? Said, you know, what Kev gets, Kev get, Kev wants. What Kev wants, what Kev's, he, he gets. Yeah. So I always end up doing, you know, the Russian double or something like that. And yeah. Turn up and yeah. So it's nice. It's nice, and you know, Irish crowds as well. You know, yeah. you can't you can't beat. It's like playing in the northwest of England. You know that. I think it's that Irish. Yeah. Fallout as well with the Liverpudlians and the the Manx and all that. They they go out and have a have the crack, don't they? And, yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I really so. do. I do think yeah. they do. I think they go. Well, go on then. Let's see where we're going with this. Let's do this. And they go with it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah generally, yeah. we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see you two hours oh, time. I know. I know. You'll have a, you'll oh. have a stormer. Well, I hope so. Thanks a lot, Terry. Thanks, mate. It's good to see you. Bye, Joe. <laughs> yeah, Terry Alderton there. Good man, Terry. Now, next up, it's Daniel Sloth. Now, word of warning: if you're listening to this in the car or if you have it up loud and there's children around you might want to get rid of the children because it's a little bit rude Hi Daniel yeah, I just saw your set there good stuff Thanks What do you think of festivals for comedy? Uh, good they can be head miss uh, you know you got to make sure it's you know the time of years are always difficult like yeah uh, they can be really good fun you just have to play them like a different gig though you can't really yeah. play it like it's a club set No yeah and it's kind of weird when you see, uh, well, when I was on, you know, you see, uh, I saw maybe five or six people when they walk out. Normally in a club, you'd be gutted if that happens. <laughs> but at this point, you're just like, they've been there for two hours. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. steaming drunk. Like, yeah, if they want to leave, I don't want these people in my audience. Because yeah. the roof's a bit high, because it's obviously very open. The laughs tend to rise, then hit the stage. Yeah. Which is why it's way more important to make more eye contact, but it's more disconcerting because you can see every single one of their fucking faces. Yeah. And obviously, as a comedian, you always find that one person that isn't laughing. God, I know. I, I, I always, I used to actually try and make them laugh, which is the wrong thing to do because they're the people who are not. Missing. The only person I've ever seen do it was uh, Andrew Maxwell at a gig of Jogglers. Just this woman he was having a great gig, but just one woman in the front would crack, and he's like, I just over the show every two minutes you go back to her, like, what is your fucking problem? What is your fucking problem? And then by the end of it, I completely won her over. Yeah, I don't have the balls to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm very much like, if you're not on at the first stop, I'm not stopping at any more stations. Like, you're either on for the right, or it's going to be a long journey. Yeah. And, I mean, the other people are, they, they, they want, you know, they're the people who deserve it. So, yeah. Now, listen, I think I, I saw you, I was in L.A. too, was it last year? I think you were doing the, were you doing the comedy store? Yeah, yeah, yeah you were yeah. staying with Stanley, and then yeah, that was yeah. the day I picked him up, because me and Stanley said to spend a day at Disneyland. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. We just went there, and fucking uh, boiling hot, just two fucking... Middle-aged me, early twenties, just be like, should we just go uh, do really childish things at Disneyland? Yep, let's go do that. Lots of kids. It's great. You can push them out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> you're allowed to hit kids if they are your own. That's the law. That's <laughs> yeah. I understand it. I went to see MC Hammer years ago, and I was the tallest person at the gig for the first time that ever happened in my life. But there you go. Had <laughs> the blackest, basically. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah. And you do many gigs in America now. Oh. Yeah, I get over a bit. I try to go over to maybe two, three months a year, do a couple of clubs that I really enjoy. I uh, just try to... So tr- I'd rather make my name on this circuit as a comedian than I would, like, I'm not going over there to get an acting job. Like, I yeah. want to fucking do the sort of Jim Jeffrey style thing of I want to establish myself as a stand-up anywhere in the world. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. That's what you want to do. It's stand-up your concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Acting would be fun if it, the opportunity ever arises, but it's not something I'm like, if I don't get into acting... I don't know what I'm going to do. 
when I started this job at fucking 16, uh, my, my dream was to make a living out of stand-up comedy, and I've been doing that for six years now. So just end, I always feel that people who have dreams after they achieve dreams are just some greedy fucking cunts. Yeah. Like, all I wanted to do was make a living out of comedy. I'm doing that. I'm literally living my dream. I have no other... If this is my life for the rest of my life, oh, grand, I'm in. Like, if I get to travel the world, do stupid jokes, come to music festivals, take drugs with friends, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like, like that's ever going to get old. Play this back to me in 10 years when I'm just old and decrepit. Like, I'm 35 and I'm dead inside. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, that's like what Tommy Tiernan, no, Tommy Tiernan uh, earlier on was getting under pressure to maybe do a sitcom and he just said, no, I just want to do... Yeah. Like, oh, so, I mean, yeah, like it's one of the things I enjoy acting, but I prefer stand up. It's what I want to do. It's what I've been a fan of since I was seven years old. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just like I'm a comic first before anything else. Like, it's always that thing of if anything else comes up, like, I'll happily do it. I'll take any opportunity uh, just in the way that if it's my logic is if it's fun, if, if it sounds like fun, I'll do it. Like, I'm not doing it for any career move, I'm doing it because I'd enjoy doing it. Uh, so it just means I really just sort of focus on stand-up. Any TV I do is just because I find it stupid or fun or something I'll get something out of personally as opposed to fucking career-wise. Yeah. And have you done any acting over in the States? Not in the States. Uh, no, I've done some acting in the UK. But I'm not. Like, every time I go over for auditions in America, it's always the same process. If I walk in, they go, American accent? And I go, no. And they're like, no, all right then. And then they just don't even play on the recorder. And uh, I got into an argument, no, a massive argument with my agent. She was like, why won't you do an American accent? I'm like, because I'm fucking Scottish. Like, like, if you want an American actor, get an American actor. Like, I'm going to be me and do my own sort of stuff. And if you want to use that for your own sitcom, then I'm absolutely fine. I'm more than happy to be in it. But I'm not going to change who I am just for a role. And she was like, but that's what acting is. And I was like, that's a good point. Yeah, you really shot on my entire... <laughs> like, this is my acting agent being like, yeah, but you're literally yeah. telling me you don't want to act. <laughs> but if you don't want to act, it's got to be within one ballpark of where you live. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good point. I, I don't sound like a fun client to have. <laughs> Unless you write your own thing. I mean, do something, whatever, like Louis C.K. or Mark Maron has done. Yeah, but I, I reckon I need way more life experience. Nobody, like, I'm at the stage now where I get away with it on stage just because it's part of my fucking persona. It's part of the comic I am at the moment. Whereas nobody wants to listen to a fucking 24, 25-year-old talk about what he thinks about the world. Like, what the fuck do I know? Like, what life experience do I have? I've never had a real job. Like, the only job I had before this was I was a paintball referee. I'm not someone you need to listen to lecture you about fucking shit. But I'll do it because I enjoy it. (laughs) You've got to build up a a lot of disappointments in life to... uh, Yeah, I just sort of feel like... (laughs) <laughs> one day, you know, I'll maybe do a sitcom one day, but I reckon it's got to be, i got to be on my second divorce by then. i got to be, yeah. you know, AA and fucking just, you know, just getting over all the drug habits. I'll, you know, I'll get that one year where I do the really dark show about my, all my drug addiction and then my wife will leave me and I'll get a good second show of it. By then, then I'll be ready for a sitcom. But now it's just going to be like, oh, and then I came on a girl's tits and nobody cares. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not funny. It's not original. It's <laughs> like a good show. Um. If you finish every episode of just coming on a girl's day. Yeah, you know, like life, like every night of my life. Yeah, it's the way I sign off. And then I jizz, but I jizz out the credits of the writers and all the actors and things. And so, yeah. You jizz out the credits. Yeah, just really, you really got to aim and you got to go have a lot of blue balls before that. But, you know, yeah. I'm sure they could do that with animation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Special effects. Uh, Get Pixar involved. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's good. It sounds good. It, it's better than um, some of the stuff they're coming out with these days. But it's not really kids, but yeah. 
so, <laughs> and what are you up to these days? Like you're uh, the part, well, you're gigging, I guess. And are you, like when you go off to the states, are you are you? Do you find a different, you know, in the clubs? Is there a different kind of? A uh, yeah, I sort of think there's advantages and disadvantages to both the American and British circuit. Like the oh. British circuit, because their attention spans are a lot shorter in a good way, and because we. Uh, we want to be impressed. Will Anderson has a great phrase, which is uh, American audiences are like, yes, you can. Australian audiences are like, oh, I bet you can't. And British audiences are like, fuck you for trying. <laughs> so to win over a British audience, you just got to go, there's got to be a gag heavy fucking da 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 da. You got to have the confidence, you got to fucking have the thing. Whereas in America, because uh, the audiences are already on your side because they're much more optimistic yeah. it's easier to go for bits and sort of routines than it is about actual just fucking base jokes mm. because the audience don't need to be won over as quickly so the advantage of being a British comic going over to America is going over with a punchline heavy set where every fucking 30 seconds there's a gag I mean they're not they're nowhere near as good as some of like Bill Barr's routines when he just goes off and does this fucking helicopter bit or Louis C.K. stuff it's not as uh, well thought through as that, not as clever, but uh, just sort of like with with visible jokes. Like I always sort of think the sign of a good comic, uh, and I'm not at this stage yet, but the sign of a good comic is if you read their script, it's all it's awful. Like it only works when they do it. Like Tom Stade's a perfect example. Mm. The only comic that could do Stade's material is Tom Stade, mm. and I think that's the sign of a good comic because that's not just you being a good gag writer that's you managed to convince anywhere between 200 and 3,000 people that you are their close friends mm. and they can just get onto your sort of wavelength so that's why I want to get to one day but and with the American audiences does sort of help that because they're they're sort of more patient but then again you know I like the fucking it's so you can develop an idea yeah yeah they'll, they'll, they'll let you yeah they'll, yeah they'll I've seen comics go on and just not do anything that resembles a joke for two minutes yeah and if that happened in the UK or Ireland it'd be fucking dead to them like yeah. pints would be thrown it's fucking over they're yeah. heckling in America they're like he'll get there we trust him like he wouldn't be on stage unless he knew what he was doing yeah, yeah, yeah. They've just got this optimism that you, you can't, can't do. act. You've just done a great American yeah. accent. I can do a very good uh, American cheerleader accent. Yeah, if they want. Yeah, I can play. A, I can play a cheerleader in like High School Musical. Oh, tell your agent. <laughs> and I also know there's an American audience. They'll applaud um, something like you say. You say, "Oh, yeah." Do you remember, remember the Muppet Show? And they just applaud the yeah. Muppet Show, like yeah. as if you'd, you'd just that fucking optimism, man. It's just like, yeah, we do. Oh my God, we're all in this together. Um, <laughs> But that's why I really enjoy gigging to American audiences is just because uh, it means I get to sort of develop my... Uh, with a British circuit on the circuit, I get to develop my uh, my craft and the delivery and the, uh, you know, and the punchlines and just the fucking the skill sets, the da-da-da-da, train all those up. It's like sharpening your sword. Whereas in America, it's more like just fucking fighting a tree with a stick like you just do moves that you wouldn't do before some of them right. might feel but once you get better at it you get more confidence in your own right. ability to use it in a real fucking fight uh, so I reckon both have their advantages like that's one thing I never understand you know with British comics that don't go over to America to do stuff I understand if it's like you know because it'd be, be difficult to get work over there but I reckon it's just another part of your game you need to develop and the same vice versa I understand why American comics don't come over to the UK because it's a tiny fucking island 
And yeah. if you've got the whole of America, why would you ever need Absolutely, to? Absolutely, yeah. But I think if you want to be as good a comic as you want to be, you got to look at all the greats that did gig in weird places and yeah. fucking made sure that wherever, you know, Richard Pryor and fucking Doug Stanhope does gigs in weird places. Mm. Just prove that you can be funny wherever, as opposed yeah. to funny where funny's expected. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I did a gig in Moscow a, a year ago, and they had... Um, uh, headphones was a guy translating now, I'm sure they understood English as well but it helped them and uh, and it was, it was it was great to get Russian audiences yeah well we did a European tour last year we're doing our, yeah. doing our second one this year 20 dates 20 different countries yeah like Estonia Slovakia Slovenia Bulgaria Portugal fucking Iceland Norway Finland yeah. and you go to these places where you're just like this is gonna fucking bomb like none of them and they just love it because they uh they're not like British or American audiences where they don't, you know, comedy isn't, you're not really able to binge on comedy in these countries because they've got their own little stand-up circuit scene, which are great, but it's obviously all local stuff, whereas, you know, a lot of the time, because uh, being British just involves being very ignorant and just assuming that the rest of the world is as stupid as you are, that they're like, I don't know any other languages, I wouldn't be able to laugh at any jokes in my second language. You go, yeah, it's because they're fucking smarter than us, like, they can, they get it, they fucking get on board. And they're just so thrilled that you're out there, that just the response, like, I remember gigs we had to stop the audience applauding, because I was like, you don't need to clap every punchline, because, like, there's three more coming, and you just, you're fucking up the flow. Like, I'm going to be but you feel like such a cunt for being like, guys, they were clapping too hard. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And I, I remember uh, one bit that didn't work. It's weird what might not work. And I, I did. I was doing something about pissing while your wife is brushing her teeth and how annoying or whatever. And it didn't work. And then I was told later it, that it cannot happen in Russia because our, our toilet and our bathroom are separate. <laughs> it was an architectural reason that my joke didn't work. I had a gig in <laughs> Lithuania. It was the second day of the tour. And uh, all my best stuff, like all my so- my best stuff, was going down okay. Yeah. But then all of my newer stuff was going down way better. Yeah. I just couldn't understand why. And just in typical brutal Lithuanian fashion, some guy after the show was like, "Mate, we love your jokes, but you've got to understand anything that you've ever put online. Ninety percent of this audience has seen wow. because that's where they get their comedy from, from YouTube. So yeah. every Conan set I'd done, they'd seen the full twenty minutes from that." So that's 20 minutes of my best stuff, which obviously... So that stuff normally kills. They're like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second I start doing new stuff, they've never heard it, and they just lose their fight. Any improv, like, I'm not... I don't talk to the audience much because I'm a selfish asshole, and it's all about me. But, you know, in these countries, I'd be like, oh, you know, are you two together? Just a bit of standard back and forth. I'm not a good compare. I can hold my own when it comes to talking to audience members but it's not my fucking forte oh, but it was like I was Billy fucking Conley or Frank just they're like oh he's genius he's coming up so now you've written that down it's just off the top of his head how's he doing this and you're like oh god the fucking optimism and, uh, of the, oh it's beautiful it's yeah. absolutely beautiful yeah. one of those things where like I didn't want to uh, I was torn after the tour because I wanted to tell as many comics be like look there's this untapped market of people that are desperate for comedy and are just the best audiences who are just just there with you from the start. But then the other part of it was like, fuck you, I don't want you guys tapping that market. I'm keeping that fucking secret. It's my guess. <laughs> like, if I'll happily go, man, I'm going to do a European tour every year from now on because it's just... Uh, Kai Humphreys has got a great saying, which is, uh, there were gigs where I wasn't doing my job, I was doing my hobby. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Which I think is a really important fucking thing. When you're just on stage, you're like, oh, I'm not even doing this because I'm, I'm just doing this because... 
I'm on stage now not because I got a contractual obligement, but because I'm fucking enjoying every second. Yeah. Of just taking this audience. With, oh, it's it's a fucking beautiful experience. Yeah, it is weird when the uh, I did this improv gig in Dublin every Monday, and every year a group of uh, Norwegian students come over and they're studying comedy, and when they come in, it's just ridiculous. They're just laughing at the most simple stuff. Yeah, because they just. I, I don't know what I don't know because there are really good comedians from all these countries that you don't realise like we went to Estonia and we had one of the biggest comics there and this guy fucking didn't understand a word he was saying tore the fucking arse out of it yeah like all these uh, we were in Iceland and this guy I can't remember his second name just because it's ridiculously long it's something like Ari Thunderbear Mountain or something in Icelandic so he goes on he opens for me and Kai but fully in Icelandic and he's ripping this gig and it was really funny for me and Kai because we can hear the rhythm of the jokes but without understanding any of the words we were like I fucking I bet you I can guess when the punchline is yeah. just the way he sort of tells it and there's just one point he's ripping he's just, I had no idea what he said no idea what he's talking about but he's fucking the audience are losing their minds they're clapping they're cheering people are buckled over and the only thing he says in English and he got a round of applause and I don't know what I, I told him not to tell me what the context of the joke was because it'll never be as funny as it was in my head but he's just going yo motherfucker I'm a flower and it that was the only thing he says in it and it fucking decimated the room like I was just and I've no idea what the joke was I've no and I don't want to know because yeah. it's only going to be a fucking letdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. man, I was, I was just one really fucking funny bit for me and Kai. I've just been like, I have no idea. But this guy is smashing it to a degree that I can't. Like, I'm just appreciating his fucking delivery. Yeah. And his mic technique and his fucking rapport and his timing. But without any of the context. <laughs> like, he could have been talking about fucking kids for all I know. It's just yeah. really a horrible, bigoted audience. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. all right. But I'm, I'm not. He was a very smart man, so yeah, I've yeah. got no doubt in my mind. Uh, it's, it's always really scary when you meet someone who's smarter than you in their second language. You're like, oh, God, I'm really letting uh, the They correct you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they correct your English. I was in fucking Sweden, yeah. hung over one morning, just in the airport. Just went to bed at four, woke up at seven, flights at eight at the airport. And this fucking beautiful seven-year-old fucking Swedish kid just leaned. I'm lying on the fucking uh, seats, and this kid peers it over and just goes da 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 and starts speaking in fucking Swedish. Mm. And I'm just smiling. I'm like, buddy, I've got no like, I've got no idea. And his mother goes, oh, and I'm like, sorry. I make my British face, which is just when you kind of make a nice smile. Yeah. And it's normally when people from other countries can work out that you're not from there. And. Uh, she goes da, 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 and I'm like uh, she goes oh English and I went yeah she went to the kid he's English and the kid went oh yeah sorry as I was saying and I was like the fuck you're seven years old how can you make that fucking move within seconds oh yeah I'll put on this tape done uh, so oh depressing it is depressing it's unbelievable we're terrible us Irish and English and British whatever yeah but listen so what, what are you going to do uh, at the picnic are you going to see any bands or is it uh, like I miss Future Islands they were on while oh, I was on, on. Yeah. probably going to see Blur tonight and I'm also yeah. going to go watch Foil Arms and Hog and uh, oh, yeah, Rubber Bandits yeah. Yeah. yeah well thanks for talking to me Dan thanks for talking to me So that was my electric picnic and I had a fantastic time myself and my daughter um, 
went to see a bit of music the next day because I dragged her around to all my gigs on Saturday and I was going around interviewing, um, you know, it just wasn't fair. So we decided we're definitely going to see some music. I didn't see Blur, actually. I saw a bit of Blur and I didn't even bother trying to get an interview with Damon Albarn because it would have been pretty tedious <laughs> trying to get an interview with him and dragging my daughter around who really she has no interest in Blur whatsoever. She's 14, you know. So we went to see a band called Pond, who were amazing. And they were just a band that I uh, knew nothing about. But I did find out later that some of the members were in the same, in the band Tame Impala as well. And they're based in Australia. uh, But the keyboard player is Irish, Joe Ryan. What's his name? And then we saw Jape, the Irish band Jape, who were just incredible. So those two bands, Pond and Jape, blew us away. Jape particularly. Uh, and I hadn't seen them before, which, you know, I should have gone to see them. I'm sure they've played in Dublin many, many times, but I haven't got to see them uh, myself. And my daughter just loved them. And they finished on the song Floating. And, oh, God, it was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, earlier on the day, I went up and did a comedy gig in uh, Kathy Davies' a stage, which is called My Little Ranch. And she runs a charity called My Lovely Horse. My Lovely Ranch was her stage. And My Lovely Horse is a charity. And her partner's Neil Hannan. So he wrote the song My Lovely Horse. But it's a charity for... Uh, horses that were abandoned in in the city areas and uh, urban horses basically abandoned and she takes them and looks after them. She's got like over a hundred horses and she's uh, looking after them and so good charity and I am going to interview her as well uh, at uh, her house and we'll talk about the charity and her music and I think I've got Brezzy coming up. I've got Des Bishop next week. That uh, interviews already done and Colin O'Regan the week after so thanks for listening and if you are a regular listener and you like the podcast please please give a star rating on iTunes five stars obviously would be the rating I would recommend and uh, follow me on Twitter uh, to Joe Rooney the number one and um, don't be afraid to uh, comment on the website, on my website if you want, which is www.joerooneycomedian.com or on the Castaway Media website. And uh, if you go on there, there are many other podcasts that are hosted by Castaway Medians, including 738AM, in which you'll find a more substantial interview with Jarlath Regan and many more amazing interviews on that podcast as well. I highly recommend it. So thanks to Daniel Rooney for the music and Andrew Mangan for producing and Castaway Media for hosting and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. If you've had a bladder leak today, listen up. I get it. I tried pills and pads for years but couldn't find relief until I found Axonics Therapy. It's a tiny device that put me back in control of my bladder. Why not see if it could work for you? Visit findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.